welcome to the latest episode of OC Talks, the podcast from Oncology Central. I'm Jade Parker, Senior Editor of Oncology Central. Today I'm joined by Kilan Ashad Bishop, who is Principal Scientist at the American Cancer Society and the co-founder of STEM Neural. Her work focuses on the intersection between science, health and society. Thank you for joining us today. Could you briefly um, introduce yourself and uh, give us an overview of your career to date? Absolutely. So my name is Dr. Keelan Bishop. I am a California girl who made her way out of California uh, to start pursuing uh, biology. And that looks like earning my bachelor's of science from Morgan State University, which is a historically black college in Baltimore, Maryland, and then made my way down the coast to the University of Miami uh, to earn my PhD in cancer biology. And really from there, I started to realize that I wanted to be more in community than I wanted to be in the mouse room, even though I really, really liked uh, the wet lab science and bench science. And so my training started to reflect that. Um, I studied, did some studying in uh, education and human development and then cancer disparities and equity. I've kind of now pulled from all of those experiences. and work as a cancer epidemiologist at the American Cancer Society. So uh, that's been really cool. It's um, an extension of my work looking at socio-environmental determinants of cancer disparities. Um, and I particularly work on the, the cancer risk factors and screening teams. So looking at uh, behavioral risk factors like tobacco use and obesity, um, as well as cancer screening participation. Thank you. Could you explain the link between cancer disparities and climate vulnerabilities? Yeah, absolutely. So um, essentially, we have, because of the way that our society, I mean, I could say American society is set up, but these same things are present in different societies globally. Um, We have systems that are set up that do not serve all people equally. And so disparities in cancer and in other health conditions really come about because these systems are set up to be unequal. And so that's, you know, going to distance people from healthcare. It's going to put people in close proximity to tobacco outlets. Um, And that's before we even get to like predatory marketing of tobacco um, in communities like mine, African-American communities. Uh, And so you have all of these things all of these inequities in society that coalesce to create cancer disparities. And many of those same things coalesce to render communities of color as well as low-income communities um, disproportionately vulnerable to the negative effects of climate change. So you have communities where there's historic disinvestment. You don't have a lot of greenery. And so then as the world gets hotter and hotter and hotter, the heat is concentrated in those communities. Um, And, you know, those may also be the same communities where because of the lack of greenery, you don't have as much neighborhood walkability leading to, you know, less physical activity as a risk factor for cancer. So, you know, it's kind of like talking in circles because you start to realize that a lot of these things that create vulnerability to one thing also create vulnerability to another thing. And that's that relationship. at its basis between climate and cancer. There's also been an extremely um, salient body of work, an extremely important body of work emerging to look at the effects of 
uh, climate-related disasters, on access to healthcare, um, on continuity of treatment, uh, work by Leticia Noguera, who also is at the American Cancer Society, has found links between wildfire smoke proximity and cancer mortality. So there's really implications for climate change across the cancer continuum, from prevention and control all the way to mortality and survivorship. Thank you. And then what downstream impact does this have on access to screening, um, including prevention and diagnostics and also treatment options for cancer patients? Yeah, so when you're thinking about, um, especially when you're thinking about climate change, sometimes it's easy to think about it as something, think about climate change in particular as something that won't have effects for 20, you know, or 30 years. A lot of the ways that we talk about climate focus on long-term impacts. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, even if you take that lens, there are environmental exposures and disparities in environmental exposures that have been documented for decades back. And so then today is like when we should be looking. So in the U.S., that plays out in places like Cancer Alley in Louisiana, where you have a really strong concentration of environmental pollutants, and that was on purpose. And then you see increases in cancer incidents. And unfortunately, in those areas, you don't always see... Um, you don't always see the appropriate level of investment in screening campaigns, in you know education and outreach campaigns to let people know that because they are at greater risk, right, that they may want to make sure not only that they are up to date with screening, but even you know seek additional care. It's kind of like a, if you see something, say something, right? Um, and so there's a, a downstream effect that's kind of indirect where we have screening guidelines. There are several different sets of screening guidelines in the United States and globally for different types of cancers. Um, but those are often not, those are often not related um, to the level of risk. And, you know, the screening that correlates to your level of risk is something that you can really only work out with your doctor if you have, you know, a usual source of care, which many people don't. Yeah. Um, so that's how we get those disparities in, you know, people knowing when they're eligible, people knowing when they're up to date, and people knowing that sometimes even if you're up to date, that still warrants an additional checkup or an additional interface with the healthcare system if something comes up. Thank you. And you recently um, took part in a roundtable discussion titled Black in Cancer Research and Oncology. Could you give us some of the key takeaways? Yeah, absolutely. So I think some of the key takeaways from that panel uh, were the fact that, one, every person who participated has a personal story, and that personal story is reflected in their research and advocacy work. I think so often as scientists, you know, we're told that like science is something objective. And so theoretically, right, we should all be doing science, conducting science or interpreting science the same way. But that's not real. That's not real life. Yeah. <laughs> we all, right, <laughs> we all have different uh, identities and stories and they affect the way that we work. And sometimes they can affect the way that we work in really positive ways, in ways that expand um, the ways that we approach inquiry, um, and like I said, interpretation of those results. 
Um, so that was one major one. And the other one was just that sometimes like representation or the presence of black voices uh, is not enough. It's the volume of black voices that has to be accounted for. So in many of the training environments that exist for people to become, you know, in a formal sense, real scientists, mm-hmm. uh, with my air quotes, <laughs> um, there's uh, not always space to voice what ways, you know, you are comfortable or uncomfortable um, with the material being, you know, imparted to you. Um, space to feel like maybe you have uh, an opportunity or not to push back on certain things that are being taught or to ask those additional questions that are really influential to training. Um, and so, you know, there was kind of a shared desire to um, raise the volume of Black voices, not only in formal training environments, but also as we think about community education and outreach to have um, a workforce that is reflective of the people that are the most burdened by cancer and other chronic diseases um, so that we can really start to make our way to rebuilding some trust in, you know, medical care and in our healthcare systems um, to really start to address these disparities. And is that where your motivation has come from to start STEM Noir? Yeah, actually. Um, yeah, so um, with STEM Noir, so I co-founded STEM Noir in 2019 with another scientist uh, who I met at Morgan State. Now, I'm a biologist. She's way smarter than me. She's a physicist. <laughs> and um, and um, I'm an American Black woman. She uh, was an international student from Trinidad and Tobago. And despite the fact that we had these really different backgrounds and really different research interests, as we stayed in touch and stayed friends and you know went into different training environments and earned different degrees, we really started to see that the similarities um, were just way more prominent than the differences um, in the ways that we felt in certain environments and the things that we honestly felt that we were lacking in certain environments. And so we created STEM Noir because we wanted to have a space that was curated for us Um, and by us to not only enhance our professional outcomes, which you find a lot of support for, but also to enhance our our personal well-being in a holistic way um, so that we're not in the room at the expense of ourselves. And I understand that you're um, organizing another conference. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) you tell us a bit about that and then also what sort of other projects you might have coming up or how people could get involved and know more about you? Absolutely. So just to go back, STEM Noir is a research and wellness community for Black women in science, technology, engineering and math. We serve a global community of approaching 2,500 women. We're really proud of that, that we've been able to bridge those different geographies, fields, trainings, and experiences. To date, we've hosted three conferences, two virtual, and then the last year's, uh, well, it was earlier this year in person in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Next year, for Seminar 2024, which is June 20th to 23rd, we will be in Washington, D.C., United States. (laughs) And so... 
We're really excited to bring together our community for a phenomenal lineup of keynote speakers, personal and professional development workshops, as well as you know research presentations and opportunities to network and collaborate. And we have all of that information for Stem Noir 2024 on our website, which is stemnoir.org. Um, or you can find us on social media for a little more of the fun stuff. <laughs> Lovely. I'll also include links to all of those in um, the written section of this so people can find those really easily. Um, and then could you let me know what concept in oncology research are you most excited about? Yeah, so oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, so I'm really interested in bodies of work that look at intersectionality in oncology outcomes. And so I have a mentor who is a vanguard in structural racism and considering how structural racism patterns health disparities. Uh, but I'm a black woman. So yes, it's racism, but it's also sexism and misogyny and patriarchy. Um, and then there's also, you know, people who deal with discrimination based on nationality. And there's also people who deal with discrimination based on sexual and gender identity. And so I'm, I'm really excited about people who are creating innovative ways to study outcomes at the intersection of people's identities um, and about the work to create interventions that are highly personalized to communities in which we have seen uh, persistent health disparities. So trying something new and exciting. Thank you so much. That's all of my questions. Thank you so much for speaking with me. And yeah, thank you for our listeners to listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear any more like this, head to oncologycentral.com. <laughs>